Thank you so much for being here today. And um, we'll make sure we get some more chairs out there, Chad and Brad, if y'all could help us with that. Uh, I am really glad you're here today. And, and I'm, uh, I just want to reiterate how important this time is for us. And, and it's evident in my heart today and, and this week um, especially because um, I, I'm going to need to be slipping out as soon as I finish uh, just with this first part, because um, I don't uh, if if you have heard, I don't know how many of you know Barry Autry, but Barry's been a member of our church for about uh, five years, probably. Uh, they moved here when um, uh, because of Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And uh, so we've been walking with Barry for about five years through this journey with cancer. And he passed away this week. And, uh, and um, his funeral will be Friday. Uh, some of you men uh, especially may know Barry. His funeral will be Friday at 10. And um, we've been trying to figure out a time to meet with their family. And, and, and at 6.30 tonight is the best time for them. And, and we've got to get this together for Friday morning at 10. And so, so I'm going to be slipping out and going and uh, Brandon Turnham and I are going to be uh, meeting with them. But, you know, one of the things that, one of the reasons this study is so important, in times of loss and difficulty and, and ultimate realities, like I have experienced with the Autrys this week and will tonight, as we sit down together and talk about how to honor the Lord and honor uh, this man and this uh, father. By the way, I'm so grateful. I just want to say this. Um, Barry's daughter is going to graduate high school in in May. And do you know what Owasso Schools did? I thought this was pretty cool. The principals and, the, uh, and Dr. Fitchner, they got word that Barry was going to die uh, soon. And uh, so they came to their house and they had a graduation ceremony at their home. And they gave, they gave Presley her diploma. Her, I guess she didn't have to go to school anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have been like, see ya. We're out of here. Um, no, but, uh, but they, they issued a diploma. Um, and they had a ceremony with the administration and in their living room. Is that cool or what? Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I sent Dr. Fitchner a text message and said, I just want to say well done on that because that was a, that was a dream of Barry's to get to see his daughter graduate. And, and he got to do that, not in the way that he had hoped. But, but you know, in, in this moment, the promises of God mean a lot. We stand on the promises of God. And, and we are told many things in the word about heaven and about the reality that this world's not our home, that, that, um, that God is at work in our lives, and he has given us his word so that we can have hope. And, and you know, when, when you think of, when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not uh, describing um, like all of us in this room, right, we hoped that OU would have beaten LSU so they could have been in the national championship game, right? Did we all hope that? 
Oh, maybe maybe a few of us did. Uh, uh, some of you hoped did not hope that. Um, but sometimes we think of hope as it may or may not happen. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's a certainty. It's a reality because God declared it. God proclaimed it. And so it's important for us to learn how to understand the word of God correctly. And, and this requires discipline. And we live in this McDonald's-type society, this fast food world where computers get faster and faster and service gets faster and faster. And if something is slow, we just don't know how to handle that. And the reality is we need to learn how to slow down. And one of the, one of the greatest points of last week was becoming excellent observers and to slow down when we study the Bible. Why? Because God has something to say to us, that, that God wants time with us. God is, we get to have time with him, with the Lord. And he's given us his word for us to go slow. And, and I don't know if you've ever realized that, that sometimes God's word is hard to understand. And I think God did that on purpose for us. So we would have to think and we would have to slow down and stop and go, well, let me contemplate that. Because that teaches us to seek the Lord. And, and, and this is my prayer, that we become people that seek the Lord. Because all of us are going to walk through difficult moments like we're going to walk through the next 30 minutes with a family that's, that's, that, that they trust the Lord, but they're hurting right now. But I'll tell you where, where the peace comes. It comes in the promises of God, in the in the truths found in his word. So it's important for us in this moment to learn how to wrestle with those truths, learn how to understand those truths, and learn how to, to really study the word. And this is, this is critical for us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Okay, so let's put this in a genre. What genre is 1 Timothy? Okay, it's a letter. Okay, so um, who wrote it? Someone tell me who wrote it. Paul. Okay. Paul wrote it. Who did he write to? Hey, it's easy. Isn't it? Timothy. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so someone tell me just a little bit about that relationship. What, tell me what you know about that, that relationship, Paul and Timothy. It was like a son. It was a, kind of a kindred spirit. Paul was older, probably, and, 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 uh, and a mentor, right? Right, as a mentor. And, and, and you know what's crazy? Uh, even, like, this is early in the, in the transmission of the gospel of, of Christ. And, 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 and guess what? There were already false teachers by this time. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Let's look at this. I want to, let's, let's start with verse 1. We're not going to go too deep into it because I don't want to take, Rob's, we've got some good stuff to look at tonight. And we do have notes for you tonight, but we're saving them uh, because it has all the answers on them. And, uh, and so we want you to be able to wrestle through. You might need a magnifying glass, but that's okay. It'll be good for us all. Um, but Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior, and I love this, and of Christ Jesus our hope. That says so much. That means a lot to me tonight. 
because Christ Jesus is our hope, isn't he? To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that's who he is, right? He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our hope. Then he says, verse verse, uh, 3, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided provided one it uses it provided one uses it legitimately. Excuse me, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for, uh, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, and for murderers, for the sexual immoral, sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. You know, essentially Paul gives a list that probably every one of us could fit in, right? So so Jesus came and rescued us. And what, what I love about the Paul-Timothy relationship is he starts in chapter 1 and he, 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 he emphasizes you need to know the truth. You need to know sound doctrine and sound teaching, and we need to be careful because there are there is false teaching around us, and this has been the case from the beginning. And what I pray, what is critical for us, as we walk with the Lord, as we as we navigate the days we are in, that that we understand God's truth. I mean, when I when I think about of all things to understand, we must understand God's truth, right? I mean, I mean, we've got to understand this. We're called to, to, to love the Lord with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength. And it's important for us. And, and, I'm, and as, I, as I look at the, the landscape of, of, of even Christians in the world, um, someone has a doctor by their name or, or they have a some kind of platform in a television show that people just go, oh, well, you must know what you're talking about. And what, what we must do is be people that learn to think and learn to listen and learn to wrestle with what we hear and learn to test. And I'm not saying we should uh, just be angry or, or just skeptical. I'm not saying that. But we should be discerning, right? Uh, we should be... Uh, able to listen and process and and get into the Word of God, pay attention to what 
people say to us. And, and I pray that we understand God's truth. When I look at Paul's, all of chapter 1, you look at this, uh, this in, in interesting challenge of, of Paul's relationship with Timothy and understanding the truth of God was important for, for, for Paul to emphasize to Timothy. And it's what, uh, yesterday I, I went and preached a funeral back home and, and I saw my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. And it was just fun to see Benny Crow. And, and I think about the, I'm grateful for the people in my life that pushed me to know the truth of God. And Paul was a great mentor to Timothy, and that was a critical step for him. You know, and I look at, at, at this call to, to learn to, as we study, what, what do we learn to do? We learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work today. You, we, we need to recognize that, at, like, even getting into the weeds of studying the Scripture, because that's what we're doing here. We're, we're getting into the, the weeds of it. Do you realize, and I want you to recognize the Holy Spirit is at work in this. That this is worship. Yeah, we're not singing songs, but 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 the Holy Spirit is 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 leading us and giving us these tools to to think and to wrestle through and to understand the scriptures. And and you know when I when I think about our our world we are in, um, we are in a spiritual battle, and I and and I feel it often. And I feel attacks often on the church and on God's people. And it reminds me, when I look at Paul and Timothy, and at the end of chapter 1, he tells Timothy, you need to be able to wage good warfare. And one of the things I pray that our church uh, grows into is a body of believers that's able to wage good warfare. Because Satan is going to be faithful to throw fiery darts at us and come at us and cause doubts and confusion and disunity. And, and, um, and when we understand God's word, it makes us strong. When I look at the world we're in, we need to be strong. When I look at the challenges that are ahead of us, we need to be strong. We need to know the word of God. So this, this evening... It is going to be a little bit of mental sweat some more. It's going to be, uh, you're going to have to think tonight. You're going to have to, to, to dialogue tonight at your tables. Okay, we want to be at tables. because uh, So get ready for opening your Bibles and dialogue. So, so everybody look at your table and meet everybody right now. Because you're going to be talking tonight. So... Now, now I want you to look at each other and say, we're going to sweat tonight. And now I want you to ask, like Stevie just said, who forgot deodorant tonight? <laughs> now, Brian, I don't know if you're going to sweat. Brian and I play tennis together, and he changes shirts like every three games in a tennis match. So I'll bring you some extra shirts next week. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great, great player. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Father, I, we want to pray for 
Missy and Stone and Presley and their family. And Lord, to, to, tonight I pray that Brandon and I, Brandon and I would serve them well and, and, and help them plan this service for their for Missy's husband and their father. And Lord, um, I thank you for the promises that you have kept for Barry and how he has already seen you face to face. And so, Lord, as a church, help us love them well. For sweet Virgie, thank you for that lady. And as we celebrate her life on Monday, I pray that we would love them well. Lord, we've lost some, well, we've watched you take home some lovely people, and I know that we'll see them again. So I pray that... um, that tonight as we study your word, would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would your Holy Spirit move in this place? And would this night help us be a people that are able to engage in good warfare? Father, we want to be faithful. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. So one of my ministries is giving books away. So I'd like to start tonight by giving a couple of books away. So the first book is uh, one of my professors at Biola, and it's an incredible book. Uh, It's called Questioning the Bible, 11 Major Challenges to the Bible's Authority uh, by Dr. Jonathan Moreau. Uh, The first hand I see, I'm going to give it to. Uh You win. (laughs) Good job. The second book that I want to give away is the best book that's ever been written. Uh, happens to be in the translation I prefer, but there's many other good ones. But this is a really nice ESV study Bible. So, whoa, you guys are quick, quick. Okay, so actually what I want to do is I want to be systematic about this. Um, if you do not have a study Bible, raise your hand. Okay, so we've got a few people who do not have study Bibles. All right, so... Uh, who, who, who over there, so it looks like just you three? Am I, am I missing anybody else? It's just you all? All right, so which of you have been a Christian for less than 10 years? Oh, okay. You, you were in it too? Perfect. So who's been a Christian for less than 10 years? You win. May that serve you well. All right, so... Actually, we'll have some more books to give away as we go through the weeks. Yeah, <laughs> Finster's got it. Finster's got next week's already. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. So, uh, as we yeah, I see, you, buddy. Um, what what do you guys remember from last week? Can you can you say one thing that kind of stuck out to you from last week from our very first session together? Homework. Homework. Oh, that's this week. Sweating. Sweating. Okay. Yeah. Chris. Chris brings the sweat analogy to us. Uh, anything else that you can think of that really stuck with you? Yeah. Slow down. Slow down. Yes, absolutely. What you can say? <laughs> it sure does. The first question you asked is how many of you read the Bible and take it literally? Right. Mm hmm. Sure. 
Yeah, so we got... <laughs> that's good, Steve. So <laughs> that's awesome. The idea is, is we do take the, the Bible as truth, right? So it's not just because we don't take it literally doesn't mean that we don't take it as true. Because he may com- the, God may communicate truth in different forms than just a literal historical narrative. He may communicate in other ways, right? So we want to keep that uh, in mind. But let's recap step one real quick. So the first thing that we should do in our journey is identify the literary genre. And we've got to recognize there's different rules of interpretation for each genre. So if we're going to look at poetry, we've got to read poetry in light of the genre, right? What are the rules that go with that? Historical narrative. Uh, is it an epistle? Is it apocalyptic, right? We've got to look at it and recognize that there's different rules. We also talked about authorial intent versus reader response, which is a very important concept in our day. We read the Bible as if the author means to communicate something to us, and it's our job to understand and interpret what that truth is. It's not our job to assign meaning to the text. It's our job to interpret and discover the meaning that's already there because the author has the say. Author gets to determine meaning, right? And so as we get into uh, this week, I do want to make sure that we all remember this key. Slow down. I'm so glad that many of you guys remembered that because that will absolutely be the foundation for everything else you do. We read the word way too quickly. Um, How many of you uh, are in some sort of a reading plan, some sort of a Bible reading plan? Raise your hand. Yeah, many of us. Okay. Uh, Do you ever find that sometimes when you're in it, you're like, when when I I end on 16.3. Okay, there it is. 16.3, done. Have you ever done that? I have. I know 16.3 because that was part of what I was doing today. And I said, don't do that. If you're not going to take your time, don't do it. And so sometimes I find myself reading in the morning, and I get to that point where you read the same verse two or three times, and still, it still isn't hitting you, you know? Sometimes it's best just to say, I'm going to come back to this later, right? But what I've found is, is I read some in the morning, and I save some of it for the evening. If I try to pound out all nine, ten chapters or whatever my reading plan is all at once, it's not that beneficial to me. So I just want to throw that out to you. Uh, as we're thinking about slowing down, that may be one way we can do it, breaking up our reading time, not just trying to get a bunch of, a bunch of uh, chapters in all at once, right? But we talk about becoming an expert observer. Slowing down is a key. Don't rush to application. That's a big one. We also talked about don't rush to even figure out what the text means. We've got to first do our best to observe what the text says. If you don't see clearly what it says, you don't even have any business talking about meaning, much less application, right? So what we're going to do this week is we're going to get into general context. Um, And when people talk about context determines meaning, that is absolutely right. But there's many layers to context. And so the first layer that we're going to talk about is this high-level general context. And when you're thinking about general context, this little diagram right here uh, will be helpful for us. You see in the middle is the bullseye. And that's the text. And then as you zoom out, you're going to get into the, inner, uh, the immediate context. 
then you're going to get into the book, then you get into the author, then the testament, and the entire Bible. This is what we would call the circles of context. And as we're looking at the circles of context, when we say text, that could literally mean the actual words or the sentences we're looking at right now. That could be literally just that one or two words that we're, we're trying to understand. That is the bullseye. That's the very, very um, zoomed in. All right. But then if we zoom out to the immediate context, that could include the whole sentence or the paragraph, right? So that's kind of getting that bigger picture. And actually next week, that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to dig into the immediate context. Right now, we're going to focus on that general context. And you might be sitting there thinking, how much is there to say on general context? You just said it. But this will be the fun part. We'll struggle through this because there is quite a bit here um, to get to general context correctly. Then we talk about the book. What's the genre? What's the purpose? What's the audience, etc.? And then we zoom out another ring, and we start to talk about the author. What's the corpus of writings? Has this author written anything else in the Bible? What is that writing like? And we need to consider these things. Also, is it the New Testament or is it the Old Testament? And then, what is this, this book's role in the big picture of the entire Bible? Right. So when we think about this, we think about our word, we think about our Bible, we've got to recognize that it is a canon, and every book that is in there has a part to play in the whole story that God wants to tell us. Does that make sense? And so we've got to recognize that none of these books stand on their own. You can't just take your, your pet book and say, this is, this is the book that I love. This is the one of the 66 that is my favorite, and it's the only one that speaks to me. All the others, you can do away with them. That's a bad view. When you look at the Bible, you've got to recognize that no book stands on its own, and every single book has a part to play in the bigger picture of God's revealed uh, word, right? So as we get into this, what we want to do real quick um, is do a little practice round. Get your Bible out and turn to Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. This will be our first warm-up round on getting to immediate context. So Acts... 26, 12 through 18. I'll read it for us real quick. That's right. <laughs> Slow down. Thank you, Steve. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to. And then he goes on, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, so let's work down this list. Um, I don't have a specific word in here uh, or a specific sentence, so we're going to zoom out to the immediate context. Um, talk to me about this immediate context. What's going on here? Anybody want to take a stab at this immediate context? 
Okay, yeah, Paul is giving his own personal testimony, isn't he? So in your Bible, you probably have a heading that says, Paul tells of his conversion, or Paul shares his testimony. That's a kind of a nice little cut there, right? Now, here's the thing to remember. In the original language, uh, the way that the, that the Bible was written, uh, the New Testament, um, you had all the Greek letters just stringing together. There were no capitals or lowercases. There was no punctuation. There were no verses. There were no chapters. It all ran together. All right, so this would be a much more fun exercise if we were looking something like that. And there are actually um, readers' version. I have a, a ESV set of the readers' version, and it has no verses. And it's it's kind of fun when you read it that way. You know, no chapters, no verses, and you're kind of like you see the flow, you see the thought of the author. That's kind of fun. But you know what's neat is that our Bibles do have chapters and they do have verses, which is helpful for us. And they also have headings like this which are good indicators of where there's breaks in the thought, right? So I would argue that this is a pretty good um, chunk, if you will, of the immediate context for this, all right? So let's move out a little bit further. What book does this passage belong to? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the genre, purpose, and audience. What's the genre of Acts? Yes, it's a historical narrative, isn't it? Because it's meaning to describe for us the history of the church, in a sense. What's, what was the early church like? Okay, uh, that, And that's the genre and purpose. The audience, uh, it, really, it really is just a, it's a documentary. It's anyone who would read this, right? It wasn't like he only wanted one person or one specific church to read this. Um, he was writing down these good, these, uh, this good account of what, what the early church was like. Um, let's go to the next one, author. Who wrote it? Luke. Isn't that kind of weird, right? You're like, wait, Luke wrote this? But most of us know that. But the next question in that line of thought is, what, uh, what else has Luke written? <laughs> Luke. <laughs> so we don't get very far with that one. If you said John, then you got a lot more to go, right? First, second, third, John, Revelation, the Gospel of John. Uh, so it's interesting to look at that in that perspective of who is this author and what else have they contributed to the Bible? What other books have they written? So it's important for us to keep that in mind, though, because this one's a little bit of a kicker because it's Paul speaking, but it's not Paul writing. Isn't that interesting? It's Luke documenting the account of what Paul said when Paul was sharing his testimony. So we've got an extra little layer there, but you read this, who... You read it as Paul speaking, even though Paul didn't write it, right? So it's interesting for us to go through that, and it's, it's important for us to take a look at this. And since we believe that all of, of, of the Word of God is inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, we don't, we don't say, hmm, since Luke wrote this, maybe he got Paul's conversion story wrong, right? Since this isn't like a, uh, a Paul handwritten, you know, that's not, that's not the way we look at this. We say Luke was qualified to write this, and this was inspired, and it's absolutely a historical account of what Paul said when he stood before the king. Yes, sir. Yeah, he was, he was around. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he was an eyewitness, but he also would interview eyewitnesses, other eyewitnesses, right? And so he had good resources uh, to be able to, to rely on. So the next one, what testament does it belong to? 
It's the New Testament. All right. Well, why would that even matter? Any, any, any ideas? Why would it matter what testament it belongs to? Okay, point of view would be part of it. Someone said New Covenant. Yep, that's right. Why would that matter? Old versus New Covenant. Mm, yeah, so we're no, yeah, Jesus is always a good answer. Uh, not <laughs> I say that as often as I can. <laughs> I always want to give credit for when people say Jesus. I mean, it's just good. Uh, what were you saying, Rick? Not under the Mosaic Law? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, that's a good point. This is a really critical point in the life of the church um, because it was a baby church, and there was a lot of the church, um, most of the church grew up as uh, out, of, out, of, out of Judaism, right? So these were Jews. The early church was Jewish converts. And so it's interesting because they're going to they're gonna be kind of like leaning a little bit here, Old Testament, and a lot of this. And we see a lot of that um, that is defined for us, uh, you know, with, with, with Peter's vision and all these what's clean, what's unclean, what's acceptable. And so you see in this, even though it's the New Testament, you're right there on that border, the Old Testament and the New Testament, with these folks saying, what do we do with this? What, what, how, how do we worship? And from a historical perspective, if you look back, you'll actually see that a lot of early Christians would go and worship as Jews, and then they would go to find a Christian group to hang out with. They're kind of confused. Where, what, what party do we belong to? What, what should we do, and what can we leave behind? How much of this do we got to keep? And so you had a little bit of an interesting environment that we were living in. But yes, it is the New Testament, which means that there's none of this that we can say, and this is kind of a bold statement, so I hope I'm right in it. I think I am, but you can debate me. There's nothing in the New Testament that we can say, oh, that doesn't really apply to us. There's a little bit in the Old Testament that we can say, ah, that doesn't really apply to me. But you don't get to say that in the New Testament. That's my argument. If you disagree with me, that's okay. That's how I view it. When I look at the New Testament, I'm like, hmm, this all applies to us right now. Even, even though it was written a long time ago, it still applies note for note for us. Okay, what were you going to say, Steve? We are, and that doesn't mean we diminish the, the value or the truth that's found in the Old Testament. But there, there is a ceremonial uh, element to that that we've done away with. There's some social elements that we've done away with that we are in this new covenant under Christ and in Christ. Um, and so there is a rightness in saying that some of that stuff doesn't directly apply to us, right? And we've got to make that distinction. So when people start quoting the Old Testament uh, to say, see, you have inconsistencies. You say this, this, and this, but you mix your fibers. You eat shellfish. You're like, well, okay, let me explain to you the difference between the two covenants, right? That's, that's a time for us to go into that conversation, all right? Any questions or comments on that? All right, so then when we look at this, the entire Bible, what is its role, big picture? We've kind of already talked a little bit about this, um, but Acts is, is, is a pretty critical book, isn't it? Just imagine for me, take out Acts. Take out Acts out of your Bible. Ooh, right. Mm. Okay. Why, why, why would that be a problem for us to just rip Acts out? What part does it play? Yeah, transitions. What else? Yep, early. Excuse me? Yes, you get that histor the history of the early church. You, how many heavy hitters do you have in Acts? A bunch. Do what? Stephen was stoned in Acts. We see Paul's conversion in Acts. We see 
all sorts of great things. The Jerusalem Council. I mean, you see so much in Acts. Peter's there. Paul's there. I mean, you just got you got so many James. I mean, you just you got so many heavy hitters that are mentioned in there working together, and it's such a beautiful picture of what the infant church was and how they worked together and 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 really um, majoring on the essentials. You see that? They major on the essentials. And you also see some pretty good sermons in Acts. You might not think about that, but you see some sermons in Acts. Um, Paul preaches some sermons. Stephen preaches some sermons, right? Peter's got some sermons. You get some good sermons in Acts. So when we say, um, what role does it play in the entire Bible? Just think about the impact if you took it out. What would you be missing? Now, you would feel that way about every book of the Bible, but there's a unique way when you start to say, what about this book? If I took this book out, what would I be missing? And you can see that bigger picture of how important it is. All right. So what we're going to talk about is intrinsic conception. Now, that may be like, what are you talking about? Don't even worry about that 25-cent word. Uh, the main idea I want you to grab here is that we're looking for the main idea. So the intrinsic conception is the big idea of the passage or book. And we ought to begin looking for it right away, all right? So when we start to look for the uh, intrinsic conception, there's a couple things to look for. First off is logical flow. So the author of the text will employ basic rules of logic to communicate. And it's our job as interpreters to look for and avoid violating these rules, all right? So let's take a look at a couple of examples. So uh, in the prayer of Jonah in, the ch in chapter 2, the author begins with the word, then, Right? Logically, that implies this prayer takes place after some other prior event, right? We know, we hear this all the time. Um, what, I mean, I, I, let's amuse ourselves. When you see therefore, we have to ask, what is it there for? That's a rule of logic, right? Therefore, there's like, huh, okay, there's something else that's, that's before it. That We've got a logical clause. We have something there we need to go back and unpack. Then... Well, we know what that word means, and so when we just start with then, we're like, hmm, what, what, was, what was before? Then what, then what happened? Then what happened, right? So we need to look for um, these types of things. Like in Romans, we'll also see logical theological arguments. That's a mouthful, logical theological arguments. Um, you can go down a list of things that Paul starts to, to, to go through, right? Uh, the order salutis in Romans 8, and he says all are called will be, you know, you go, you go through and it's like, these are logical things. So we see that. So if we're looking in a particular book and we start to look at a particular passage, we've got to pay attention to the big idea. And we can locate the big idea where it stops and starts by paying attention to normal logical flow. So uh, when we're in narrative, there may be a development uh, it's just in a story or a character. If you find yourself not really sure what's going on, that probably means that you need to back up, right? If, you jump, if, you, if you're like, huh, and he was saying these things in his defense. That's verse 24 of, of chapter 26. What things? Who? Right? That you, logically, you need to, you started it in the wrong place, all right? So we need to make sure when we're looking in narrative, What's the, what's the story development? Where's the characters? How are they developing? How, what do we know about them? Um, what are we missing? Um, but also, uh, look at this. If you can't make sense of the passage or verse on its own, you will need to look for where the concept begins and ends in the larger context. A helpful tool is a book chart, and we're going to talk about that um, a little bit tonight. But let's take a quick look at another example from Galatians 5, 24. All right? 
So if we look at this, and we're going to read a Bi- we're going to lead a Bible study on Galatians five twenty four, and I put the verse up there for us, and it says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Stop there. All right. So, this is a good verse on its own. There's, there's truth there. So don't hear me say you can't ever find a verse that logically could stand on its own. There's some verses that you can just read, and they probably can tell you something without you backing up five chapters before. And you know, That's not the point. But... What, what we want to do is we want to look for the intrinsic conception. What intrinsically, what's the big idea? This verse belongs to a bigger idea. And that's what I want us to wrestle through real quick. So there's the verse up there, but then here's the question. To what big idea does this passage belong? Where does the idea begin and end? So I want you just to look at it for a couple, couple seconds, um, just on your own, if you have your Bible out. Take a look at it and kind of get in your mind where you think the, the, the major idea begins. Let me interrupt your good meditation. Anyone want to throw out a verse where you think it probably starts? 19. We've got a 19. Anybody else? 16. All right. Anybody else got anything different than a 16 or a 19? It's another 16. 13. Ooh, he's a deep digger. Anything else? So it sounds like we've got some pretty good consensus um, on 16. And, and, but here's the thing. I'm going to throw this up here. Uh, the intrinsic conception begins in verse 1 of chapter 5. All right, now you're like, okay, Rob, you told us to look for headings. <laughs> you should. But look, read a little further, all right? So verse 1 of chapter 5, and is seen in the larger paragraph starting in verse 16. To get the full idea, you really could fall into, um, a, you know, a, a infinite regress in this to where you go all the way back to 1-1. All right, Gen- uh, yeah, Genesis 1-1. Uh, Galatians 1-1. That is really where you get the, that's the real intrinsic conception is Genesis 1-1. Start there. Um, Galatians 1-1, you could. You say, okay, what in the world, right? But that's, that's too big. That really isn't the intrinsic conception. That's not really the big idea of that passage. But I would argue if you went all the way back to the beginning of 5, you start to get this idea of, of Paul started this new strong argument. And Christ has set us free. Many of your, uh, your, your, your headings will say something like that. And then he goes on to start to look at what this looks like in talking about law and grace and, and, and living by the Spirit and by faith. And then in 16, I do believe that that's really, in a paragraph sense, that's where this idea really is uh, going to begin because he starts to contrast this idea of walking by the Spirit in contrast to walking according to 
to the flesh. So the verse we're looking at is verse 24, which says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if you went on, all of us are probably tempted to go on to 25, because it gives us some closure, because he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Um, and that feels, feels pretty good. And then 26 is just for free. It feels like, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, uh, envying one another. That's another one, though, that you could read that. It'd probably stand on its own pretty good. Yeah, it shouldn't provoke certain envy. Okay, good. But that 24 starts with and. There's a logical thing for us. We know in common language when we have and, there's something before it, right? And we've got an order of listing of some sort. So what we would do, and we'll mess with this a little bit later, is... Um, we would want to interpret verse 24. And I would like to hear it, not now, but think about that because I'm going to ask you about it later. Give, what's a one sentence? Now you're like, wait, one sentence? Yes. We want to get to where we can give a one sentence interpretation of a verse. Um, if you're going to interpret verse 24, that's pretty fun to actually dig in to say, here's what it is. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm making you suffer through some of what I had to suffer. And these, some of these verses are verses that I had to do before in school. And so I remember sitting and looking at it like, yep, okay, what does 24 mean? How can I interpret it? How can I, how can I get to application? So you have to do that. But the big picture here, I hope you're grasping, is you can't just look at 24 and only 24. Because it belongs to a bigger idea. It belongs to at least go back up to 16. Now let's ask those other questions. So that would be the text, the immediate context, if you will, starts in verse 16. But then what book does it belong to? Galatians. What's the genre, purpose, audience, right? That's helpful if you start to look at that. Then we start to look at the author who wrote it, who wrote Galatians. Paul. Okay. Did Paul write anything else? Yes, right? He wrote a lot, didn't he? What does this belong to? New or Old Testament? New Testament. So this means that there isn't a bit of this that we can say, ah, it's not really relevant. Nope, that belongs to you. It's for you in every way, in my opinion. Uh, then we can say, what, what part does it play in the larger um, life of the Bible? And this is a, man, could you imagine missing Galatians from your Bible? Whew, no way. There's so much in here. So we don't have time to really unpack all of those questions, but what I want you to get into the habit of is if you read a passage, if you read a verse, go through those steps. Understand, you are not reading a verse in isolation. Get the, get the address is what I like to say. What's the address of this text? Who wrote it? What's going on here? But bigger picture is what we're trying to say is what's that main idea that this whole text belongs to, all right? So these are some of the things that we want to look for when we're looking for logical flow, but why is it important, right? So imagine you're to lead a Bible study on the second chapter of Jonah. You read the following verse, which says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out, and you heard me. Okay, so if you read that and you got to lead a Bible study on that, I mean, what in the world do you do? You're probably not going to stay there, are you? <laughs> no way. You're like, okay, this isn't, what does this have to do with anything? All right. So what's the main idea? What's going on in this narrative? 
Well, naturally, what we would have to do is we'd have to read chapter 1 to get an idea of what's going on here in chapter 2. But more, if we want a better idea, is if we read the entire book, we get the complete picture. All right? So when we look at that verse itself, it doesn't really make sense if we just read it because it says, Then Jonah prayed. Then there's a word. We've got to go back. What? We don't even know what's going on here. If you know, just because we are all raised, uh, most of us were raised in some sort of a church context that we have Jonah down pretty good, we kind of know. We kind of know Jonah's in the belly of a fish. Why? Because he fled. When? Well, God called him to go to Nineveh. You can still go on the list. But, but don't take that assumption. Imagine you've never read this before. Part of that slowing down process is telling yourself, I don't already know this. I don't already know what it says. Because if you tell yourself you already know what it says, you put it in road gear. And you're, you're gone. You're off to the races. All right? So what we want to do uh, is take a little bit of time to actually practice together. And that's why we've put you in tables. Um, this will be some table time. So if you're not at a table, you can break up. And you can come back to your chairs in a little bit. But find a seat at a table because this will be important for us. Every table needs to choose one chapter, all right? So if we said Rick Cuscio's table, he's got to pick one of the four. He can't do all four. And when you pick your chapter, don't read the other chapters, all right? So I'm not assigning you. I can't do that. There's too many of you. But pick one of the chapters. And don't everyone pick one. How boring. <laughs> so we need someone that grabs four. We need a table that grabs three. We need a table that grabs two. We need a table that grabs one of Jonah, So before you begin discussing and reading, let me give you the rest of the instructions. What you're going to do is while you are reading and talking about your one chapter, you need to discuss the big idea. What is your chapter's big idea? And then you need to identify the main characters, attitudes, events, or outcomes for the chapter that you are looking at with your table. And then we've got to answer this question, what was the purpose of this chapter? And then here you go. We need one table, excuse me, one sp spokesperson from each table to report out if called upon. Now, we have 21 tables. We don't have time for 21 people to talk tonight. But I will call on a table that covered chapter one. I'll call on a table that did two, three, and four, okay? So, Jonah, everybody pick a chapter, read it, and talk about it, and answer these uh, questions. You got about eight minutes. What's the big idea? Who are the main characters, attitudes, events, or outcomes? And what was the purpose of the chapter? All right, so hopefully everybody's got a spokesperson identified. Uh, raise your hands if you did chapter one. Did no, cha no table did chapter one? All right, we have one table. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so, so let's see here. This thing isn't on. I don't know if someone turned it off. We'll just come talk to you. There it is. You, are you the spokesperson? All right, Kit, give us the list real quick. What's the big idea of chapter one? Well, the big idea is, is that you can't run from God. Mm. And, uh, and so at least that's, that's what we came up with. Okay. And uh, you want to know anything else? Yeah, go, go down the list. <laughs> Can you okay, help with that? The main characters are Jonah and the sailors. Okay. 
and and uh, and so the purpose of the chapter was 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 to you know show that uh, you know show Jonah's disobedience, but but even in being in in uh, his disobedience, God's plan is not going to be changed. Mm. So. Okay, so it can't run from God. Uh, main characters, you, you listed a couple of them. What do you think was the purpose of chapter one? Now, that, you, know, you may be like, what is the, what's the difference between the big idea and what's the purpose? But there is a difference. Uh, the big idea would be kind of like what all happened, what's that big thing? But why is, why is chapter one even there? Well, you know, knowing the rest of the story, I mean, I mean it's there to, in my mind, it, it's, and we didn't discuss this, so this is all on me. In my mind, it's, it's to show that, uh, it's to set up the rest of the story, right? Mm. Because it, in the end, Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, right? Okay. And, and, uh, and so, it's, it's try as hard as he, as, he, as he did to run, it didn't work. Okay, very good. Thank you. So if we didn't have chapter one, the rest of them wouldn't really make that much sense, right? right? Okay. Well, any tables that did chapter two? I'll let, I'll, let Chad, I'll let Chad choose which table he wants to go to. Keep your hands up if you did chapter two. Yeah, perfect. Do you have a spokesperson identified? All right, excellent. What's that big idea of chapter two? Uh, we, we discussed it, believe the big idea was Jonah made a bad choice, and he didn't okay. follow God's, God's plan. Okay. Chapter two, you say the big idea is that he made a bad choice. All right, I'll write that down. Who are the characters, attitudes, events, or outcomes that you think are worth noting? Uh, Jonah, mm -hmm. the fish. Nice. I heard another table say that. That's good. Perfect. Keep going. Did you hear fish and God? Perfect. Attitudes, events, or outcomes. What do you see in, in chapter two? Any attitudes worth noting? Well, we, for us, we were just discussing his lowest of low. Mm. Um, and so we heard that, we read the living version, and it really went into his, this was the low point of his, his being. And mm. so we were getting that sense of his attitude was pretty, pretty shot. And mm. then um, the outcome of this, though, was as he, he um, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of that, but. Yeah. The outcome was as he cried out. And okay. so for us, the big purpose or the purpose of this chapter was that in his distress and lowest point of despair, he cried out and God heard his cry. Mm. Okay. I think that's a really, really good key thing to see there. Um, because what actually happens in chapter 2, he repents, doesn't he? So one of the things is, is that there is repentance that is important. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I will show you something that I did here in just a second, um, but this would be kind of one way that you can kind of look at it, all right? In chapter 1, he's, he's over here. He's sinning, right? He's in disobedience. So are the Ninevites. And then in chapter 2, he makes, he makes some progress this way, doesn't he? All right, so uh, what was the outcome of chapter 2? God rescued him. He was spit okay. out of the mouth of the, Excellent. the fish. Okay, good. Uh, and, and, he, and he said, I'll go, right? So chapter 3 tables, raise your hand. Okay, we've got a few of them. 
What was the big idea for chapter three? Okay. Big idea in chapter three is um, I think we decided that the Ninevites believed God. Mm. Verse five. Okay. I love it. Okay. Um, so. So you're taking these the a people that were um, sinful, <coughs> led a terrible life. Uh huh. And. Despite all that, this guy comes into town and says, you're going to die. Mm. And they believe. Yeah. So that was pretty powerful mm. that they believe. So obviously the main characters were Jonah mm-hmm. and the Ninevites. Okay. And they also discussed the fact that the king and the nobles mm. okay. responded. So this was, this was a big group of people. They took it serious, right? They took it very seriously. Yeah. I think that's good. Uh, it's interesting too when you look at it. Did what did Jonah actually say? He didn't. He didn't give any advice, did he? No. He just said, "Here's the, here's here's the proclamation. <laughs> it's done. It's gonna happen. See ya." <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the NASCAR driver. Sometimes I'm only here for the interview, so I don't get fined. Like that's <laughs> that's what it felt like, right? That's what it kind of feels like. All right. Uh, and, and what would you say would be the purpose of chapter three? If we didn't have chapter three, what would we be missing? Salvation. Oh, okay. All right. Whose? Well, in a bigger sense, all of the people, Mm. because they believe. And we see that the king says, maybe God Mm. will have mercy on us. Interesting. Okay. Good observation. Of mercy and Mm. and being saved. You're not going to die. Mm-hmm. You're going to live. Yeah. Does everyone agree? You know, we could debate the, the, the finer details, but does everyone basically agree that chapter 3 is a good image of mercy, of the mercy of God? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good big idea there. Okay, chapter 4. Any tables that had chapter 4? Okay, we got one, two maybe tables. You guys... <laughs> Jesus... <laughs> Rob Rizzo, all right. Chapter 4, what's the big idea for chapter 4? The big idea is um, a uh, a terrible attitude, um, selfish attitude, Mm -hmm. um, and allowing our uh, culture maybe even to influence us over what God's doing and not celebrating God. Okay, hang on. That's good. I think there's some truth there, but let's, let's... Let's uh, talk a little bit real quick. What, what are you getting to, Rob? What am I getting to? Yeah. Where are you heading right now with what I'm you just said? I'm thinking about going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need to get out of here. <laughs> I don't have a very good poker face. <laughs> Sorry. No, we're saying Jonah's anger is the issue here. Yes. And, um, and what, but you started saying we. Didn't you say we? We, Sure. You said something that we don't. Uh, well, well, I think about our own selfishness, yes. mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of times, even when I think about anger yep. or my bad attitude, it's because yep. something's not going my way. Yep. And um, so, That's good. and and God had something bigger in mind. But he missed it mm-hmm. because he chose to focus on that. So that's, mm, that's good. So the only thing that I'm pushing back a little bit is we didn't see we anywhere in there. 
I'm it's sorry. not that you're wrong. I see. That is right. And that is, but what we just did was we started to get to application. We started to get to how do we apply this to ourselves. So that's not a bad on you. We all do that. That's exactly what we do. And it's not wrong. But what we got to practice a little bit is what does it actually say and who's, what's, what's the big idea in there. So actually, keep that in mind, Rob. Because we need to come up with applications for this. And that's exactly where we'll start to pull some of that stuff out. But see how we can start to do a good job if we start to get, a, get the, the details down, then we can start to really articulate what, those, what the application is. So now, does anyone want to give um, a high-level overview of what the whole purpose of the book of Jonah is? Resurrection. Resurrection. Okay. Do what? Mm, okay. Repentance. Okay. All right. Obedience. Boy, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in there. Do what? Awesome. Okay. So I think we could, we, could, we could weave some sort of a web for all of those. Um, but I want you to hold that thought because actually you're going to you're gonna have to wrestle through this a little bit. Let me show you something, though. I know you can't see it very well. But this was my book chart. You can't see it. I know. I'm going to give you a zoomed-in view real quick here in just a second. But here's something that I want us to think about, because you're going to have to do this for another book. And, and actually, when I taught this at Calvary, everyone hated me, uh, because they said, you picked the easy book and gave us the hard book. Yes. So if you follow with me, and I know it's a little hard, uh, the next slide I'm going to zoom in on something, but I want you to see the big picture, and it's hard to see big picture zoomed in. So big picture, what I did was I broke up all four chapters, and those were columns. Column one, column two, column three, column four. Those represent chapters. What I did was I kind of did this little bar that I showed you down here. Far left is, is disobedience and sin. Far right is you get this obedience and redemption. And then what I said, well, what do I see in chapter 1? Are we heading more this way or that way? So you can see I have Nineveh heading towards sin and disobedience, Jonah heading towards sin and disobedience. Then chapter 2, we get Jonah heading towards repentance and, and obedience. We also see in chapter uh, 3 that that's where the Ninevites are heading. But then what's interesting is Jonah's feeling pretty good, but then in chapter 4, <laughs> Jonah heads back the other way, right? So at the bottom of all of those, I know it's kind of hard to see at this view, but what I, what I did was I summarized each chapter. So that was my really quick summary, 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 summary. But then you see at the very top, I wrote a purpose. What is the purpose of Jonah? So I said to show the compassion of God who shows mercy to both Jonah, the rebellious prophet, and the Ninevite Gentiles he calls to repentance. So we all said kind of sprinklings of that. Um, and you may disagree with my purpose, you know, my analysis of what I think is there. Why, why is the book of Jonah in the Bible? I don't think I have the corner on the market of what the purpose is here. I'm showing you what kind of I distilled out of that. But did you catch one thing? This was something that was sweet to me. Who did he show mercy to? The, who are they? Right. But who are the Ninevites? Gentiles. What covenant is this? Old. Hmm, interesting, right? 
So what we've got to look at is, that I believe Jonah is an incredible book that shows us that God is not only merciful to his own people, who he's called to a job, and when they rebel, and that's kind of what Rob Rizzo was getting at, but also it shows us that God is merciful to those who are not even in the fold right away. Why? He's a, yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's a beautiful foreshadowing of what would happen when he says, the people who are not my people will be my people, right? Okay. Yeah, and a lot of cows, too. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but it's in there. <laughs> it's like, in strong, Jonah. <laughs> Name how many cows he got, right? <laughs> we don't really know what to do with that. Well, someone does. I don't. But anyways, let me, let me walk you through this a little bit. I'm not saying you've got to do exactly this. But this is what I was thinking when I did my book chart on, chart on Jonah. You will do a book chart on a book this week. And this is probably where some of you may quit. Let me just first off say, don't quit. I'm not going to grade anything you do, but it will be a sweet struggle this week. And when we did it at Calvary, oh my gosh, it was, it was incredible. Because why? People were in the Word for hours and hours and hours. Isn't that the goal? Yeah, Fencers, yes. It was a buzz. We were all like, you know, and then when I tell you the book that you're going to do, you're going to be like, wait, what? So just let me say, hang in there. It will be challenging, but it will be so worth it. Okay, so let me, let me help you understand what my book chart looks like. And actually, the handouts will have the book chart that I did for your reference. You'll take it home. You can look at it. But what I kind of thought was like, okay, what are some verb categories? So I made colors, right? So I made red for rebellion or a poor attitude. And then in chapter one, which is I have circled there, uh, it says, Jonah's response to the Lord's call to go to Nineveh. Well, on the right, I have divine call. That's the verb category. God called Jonah. So in the text where it says that God called him, I highlighted that and made that orange. But then his response was rebellion, right? So his, his, he, he fled. So I put that in red. And then I put the paragraph number and then the verse number next to it. That's, that's up to you. You can do it however you want to. But that was the logic that I saw. Then in chapter 2, I didn't see any um, rebellion or poor attitude or divine call, so I left that square blank. Chapter 3, I did see a divine call, the second call for Jonah to go and call out against Nineveh. Paragraph 1, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. So far, so good? Maybe losing some? Chapter 4, I didn't see a divine call, but I certainly saw Jonah's poor attitude and rebellion. Jonah is angry because Nineveh reports uh, excuse me, repents, and the Lord is merciful towards them. And you see that in paragraph 1, verses 1 through 4. All right? So that was my way of breaking that down. Let me show you how it kind of looks bigger picture. So you see Jonah 1, 1 through 3. says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So I condensed all of that down to just that little block of a summary at the very top. And then I highlighted what I saw was poor attitude or rebellion. And I highlighted orange what I saw was a divine call. But I got all of that from that block of scripture, right? Then uh, the second part, which I'm going further down. So now we're going top to bottom. I saw a divine confrontation. And I saw that, right? So that's what I put in purple. The Lord pursues Jonah and sends a storm and guides the cast lot to be exposing Jonah as the reason for the storm. 
right? So that, that's, the, that's the big idea. And what I have uh, here in green is human response, all right? So when you look at this in green, the human response was the mariners throw Jonah overboard after praying to the Lord. That's what they did in response to uh, the storm that God had sent. So I highlighted that green because I saw that. But that is the text that I got all of that from. Does that, does that make sense? And I really want you to ask any questions if you have any questions. I'm not saying you've got to do it exactly like this, but I want to make sure you understand the thought process of what in the world I was aiming at as I did this. Yours can look completely different. When we did it at Calvary, uh, we had about 30 people. And I was so proud of them because they came back and they all had different versions of what they had seen. And I loved it. And it was not, no, none of it was wrong. Um, but our, our objective is to be able to say, what's the big picture of this entire book? Then let me break out each chapter and what's the big idea for each chapter. And if you want to go into further detail like I did, breaking out, okay, divine confrontation, divine mercy, poor attitudes, divine calls, so on and so forth. So you see in blue, I had divine mercy. So all the words uh, that I had for the summary that represented that in chapter one, the Lord quiets the sea and appoints a great fish to save Jonah from drowning. I don't know if you would have got that out of there, but that's what I got out of there. I saw that was divine mercy, that God made the storm stop. And also, whenever the boys threw Jonah over, if the fish wasn't there, what happens to Jonah? He's dead. So actually, the fish was mercy. It was God showing Jonah mercy. It's like putting him in time out for a minute, but keeping him alive, okay? So I want you to pay attention to things like that, but you can't get that if you go fast. You have to say, what's happening here? Wrestle with it. Ask those questions. All right? So there's a whole lot more that goes into this. But let me recap step two, uh, and we'll hand out the, uh, the study aids for this week. So identify the intrinsic concept. What's that big idea? Identify where the main idea begins and ends. And pay attention to logical flow, as we said. But then book chart to make a visual summary of the passage or book. Uh, and the idea, plot, character development, all of those things are important. But the overall theme every week we'll keep coming back to is become an expert observer. Slow down, hold off on interpretation, application, and meaning. Why? Because we've got to learn to understand first what the text says before you understand what the text means or how to apply it. This will take us a minute to, 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 really, to really get in the swing of this. I'm not telling you to not look for application as you go. Note it if you see it. That's perfectly fine. But let's make sure that we're saying, hmm, first step, what does this say independent of me, right? Now, here's your homework. Book chart, First John. I know I've got a lot of fans now. How do you do it? Well, read the entire book several times. It's a small book. It's a tough book, all right? Uh, identify the main idea in each chapter. State the purpose of the book in one sentence. That's really the objective for you this week. Now, this is a good practice for us because the book of 1 John is a very challenging book. And I'm just going to tell you right away, uh, if you look at any study Bible, it'll say John was all over the place in this thing. So I didn't tell Calvary that. I let them suffer. So, but, but I want you to know, if you start to feel like, there's an, he says this a little bit, then he comes, then he goes over here, then he comes back. You're going to be like, what is the main idea? I don't know. That's okay. 
Don't be like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't get any of this because that's not what you should feel or think. 1 John is a very, very, very tough book from that perspective, but it's also a very, very tough book theologically speaking. It's a book that causes a lot of people to debate one another, and it's an interesting book because he drills down into some very important concepts. Um, but what we have to start off with is, is 1 John um, a relevant book? Is 1 John a book that we should read in the Bible? Yes. yes. Okay, it's probably not the book that we do our devotions in. Uh, it's probably not the book that we're like, you know, I need to pick me up. I'm going to go to First John. You know, I'm feeling a little low today. I'm going to First John. Probably not where you're going to go. But it is an absolutely um, invaluable book that is in the Bible for a reason. And God put it there, and we would do well to wrestle with it. So that's what your assignment is for this week. Next week, the whole book. The whole book. You got you to break every chapter down, give a quick summary of what you see in it, and then write a one-sentence summary for why the book's there. What's the book's purpose? That'll, it, you will benefit from it, all right? So if actually, um, if I could get a couple people to help me now, I'm going to start handing out some stuff, and I'm going to give, uh, Chad had the microphone, if you want to close out. Help, help, help. You want to close it out? 